Part 2, Proposition 16 to 20 of The Ethics by Spinoza. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by E. Scarab. The Ethics by Benedict de Spinoza. Translated by R. H. M. Elways. Part 2, Proposition 16 to 20. Proposition 16. The idea of every mode in which the human body is affected by external bodies must involve the nature of the human body and also the nature of the external body. Proof. All the modes in which any given body is affected follow from the nature of the body affected and also from the nature of the affecting body, by Axiom 1, after the corollary of Lemma 3. Wherefore, their idea also necessarily, by Part 1, Axiom 4, involves the nature of both bodies, therefore, the idea of every mode in which the human body is affected by external bodies involves the nature of the human body and of the external body. Quadrat demonstrandum. Corollary 1. Hence it follows, first, that the human mind perceives the nature of a variety of bodies together with the nature of its own. Corollary 2. It follows, secondly, that the ideas which we have of external bodies indicate rather the constitution of our own body than the nature of external bodies. I have amply illustrated this in the appendix to part 1. Proposition 17. If the human body is affected in a manner which involves the nature of any external body, the human mind will regard the said external body as actually existing, or as present to itself, until the human body be affected in such a way as to exclude the existence or the presence of the said external body. This proposition is self-evident, for so long as the human body continues to be thus affected, so long will the human mind, by Part 2, Proposition 12, regard this modification of the body, that is, by the last proposition, it will have the idea of the mode as actually existing, and this idea involves the nature of the external body. In other words, it will have the idea which does not exclude, but postulates the existence or presence of the nature of the external body, Therefore, the mind, by Part 2, Proposition 16, Corollary 1, will regard the external body as actually existing until it is affected, etc. Quadrat demonstrandum. Corollary. The mind is able to regard as present external bodies by which the human body has once been affected, even though they be no longer in existence or present. Proof. When external bodies determine the fluid parts of the human body, so that they often impinge on the softer parts, they change the surface of the last named, postulate 5. Hence, by axiom 2, after the corollary of lemma 3, they are refracted therefrom in a different manner from that which they follow before such change, and further, when afterwards they impinge on the new surfaces by their own spontaneous movement, they will be refracted in the same manner as though they had been impelled towards those surfaces by external bodies. Consequently, they will, while they continue to be thus refracted, affect the human body in the same manner, where of the mind, by Part 2, Proposition 12, will again take cognizance. That is, by Part 2, Proposition 17, the mind will again regard the external body as present, and will do so as often as the fluid parts of the human body impinge on the aforesaid surfaces by their own spontaneous motion. Wherefore, although the external bodies, by which the human body has once been affected, be no longer in existence, the mind will nevertheless regard them as present as often as this action of the body is repeated. Quadrat demonstrandum.
Note, we thus see how it comes about, as is often the case, that we regard as present many things which are not. It is possible that the same result may be brought about by other causes, but I think it suffices for me here to have indicated one possible explanation, just as well as if I had pointed out the true causes. Indeed, I do not think I am very far from the truth, for all my assumptions are based on postulates, which rest almost without exception on experience that cannot be controverted by those who have shown, as we have, that the human body, as we feel it exists, by corollary after Part 2, Proposition 13, furthermore, by Part 2, Proposition 7, and by corollary, Part 2, Proposition 16, Corollary 2, we clearly understand what is the difference between the idea, say, of Peter, which constitutes the essence of Peter's mind, and the idea of the said Peter, which is another man, say, Paul. The former directly answers to the essence of Peter's own body and only implies existence so long as Peter exists. The latter indicates rather the disposition of Paul's body than the nature of Peter, and therefore, while this disposition of Paul's body lasts, Paul's mind will regard Peter as present to itself, even though he no longer exists. Further, to retain the usual phraseology, the modifications of the human body, of which the ideas represent external bodies as present to us, we will call the images of things, though they do not recall the figure of things. When the mind regards bodies in this fashion, we say that it imagines. I will here draw attention to the fact, in order to indicate where error lies, that the imagination of the mind, looked at in themselves, do not contain error. The mind does not err in the mere act of imagining, but only in so far as it is regarded as being without the idea, which excludes the existence of such things as it imagines to be present to it. If the mind, while imagining non-existent things as present to it, is at the same time conscious that they do not really exist, this power of imagination must be set down to the efficacy of its nature, and not to a fault, especially if this faculty of imagination depends solely on its own nature, that is, by Part 1, Definition 7, if this faculty of imagination be free. Proposition 18. If the human body has once been affected by two or more bodies at the same time, when the mind afterwards imagines any of them, it will straightaway remember the others also. Proof. The mind, by Part 2, Proposition 17, and by Corollary, imagines any given body because the human body is affected and disposed by the impressions from an external body in the same manner as it is affected when certain of its parts are acted on by the said external body. But, by our hypothesis, the body was then so disposed that the mind imagined two bodies at once. Therefore, it will also in the second case imagine two bodies at once, and in the mind, when it imagines one, will straightway remember the other. Quad erit demonstrandum. Note. We now clearly see what memory is. It is simply a certain association of ideas involving the nature of things outside the human body, which associations arises in the mind according to the order and association of the modifications, affections, of the human body. I say first, it is an association of those ideas only, which involve the nature of things outside the human body, not of ideas which answer to the nature of the said things. Ideas of the modifications of the human body are, strictly speaking, by Part 2, Proposition 16, those which involve the nature both of the human body and of external bodies. I say, secondly, that this association arises according to the order and association of the modifications of the human body in order to distinguish it from that association of ideas. 
I say, secondly, that this association arises according to the order and association of the modifications of the human body in order to distinguish it from that association of ideas which arises from the order of the intellect, whereby the mind perceives things through their primary causes, and which is in all the men the same. And hence we can further clearly understand why the mind from the thought of one thing should straightway arrive at the thought of another thing, which has no similarity with the first. For instance, from the thought of the word pomum, an apple, a Roman would straightaway arrive at the thought of the fruit apple, which has no similitude with the articulate sound in question, nor anything in common with it, except that the body of the man has often been affected by these two things. That is, that the man has often heard the word pomum while he was looking at the fruit. Similarly, every man will go on from one thought to another according as his habit has ordered the images of things in his body. For a soldier, for instance, when he sees the tracks of a horse in sand, will at once pass from the thought of a horse to the thought of a horseman, and thence to the thought of the war, etc., while a countryman will proceed from the thought of a horse to the thought of a plough, a field, etc. Thus every man will follow this or that train of thought, according as he has been in the habit of conjoining and associating the mental images of things in this or that manner. Proposition 18. The human mind has no knowledge of the body, and does not know it to exist, save through the ideas of the modifications whereby the body is affected. Proof. The human mind is the very idea or knowledge of the human body, by Part 2, Proposition 13, which, by Part 2, Proposition 9, is in God, insofar as he is regarded as affected by another idea of a particular thing actually existing, or, inasmuch, by Postulate 4, the human body stands in need of very many bodies whereby it is, as it were, continually regenerated, and the order and connection of ideas is the same as the order and connection of causes, by Part 2, Proposition 7. This idea will therefore be in God, in so far as he is regarded as affected by the ideas of very many particular things. Thus God has the idea of the human body, or knows the human body, in so far as he is affected by very many other ideas, and not in so far as he constitutes the nature of the human mind. That is, by Part 2, Proposition 11, and by Corollary, the human mind does not know the human body. But the ideas of the modifications of body are in God, insofar as he constitutes the nature of the human mind, or the human mind perceives those modifications, by Part 2, Proposition 12. And consequently, by Part 2, Proposition 16, the human body itself, and is actually existing, therefore the mind perceives thus far only the human body. Quad erit demonstrandum. Proposition 20. The idea or knowledge of the human mind is also in God, following in God in the same manner and being referred to God in the same manner as the idea or knowledge of the human body. Proof. Thought is an attribute of God, by Part 2, Proposition 1. Therefore, by Part 2, Proposition 3, there must necessarily be in God the idea both of thought itself and of all its modifications, consequently also of the human mind, by Part 2, Proposition 11. Further, this idea or knowledge of the mind does not follow from God in so far as he is infinite, but in so far as he is affected by another idea of an individual thing, by Part 2, Proposition 9. But, by Part 2, Proposition 7, the order and connection of ideas is the same as the order and connection of causes. Therefore, this idea or knowledge of the mind is in God and is referred to God in the same manner as the idea or knowledge of the body. Quad erit demonstrandum. End of Part 2, Proposition 16-20
Recording by E. Scarab.